This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host... Jane Brown. Libby is off. Great to have you here. Well, New Year's Day marked the 25th anniversary of the amalgamation of the city of Toronto. It was on January 1st, 1998, Metro Toronto and its six lower tier constituent municipalities was dissolved by an act of the government of Ontario and formed into a single tier city of Toronto. And with amalgamation, the new city of of Toronto became the fifth most populous city in North America, behind Mexico City, New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago. And now, it's time to tune into the town. Our Tune Into the Town panelists have joined us to commemorate the anniversary and to talk about other municipal matters, including the beginnings of the 2023 City of Toronto budget. David Crombie is a former Toronto mayor. Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village. And Lauren O'Neill joins me in studio here. She is senior news editor at Blog TO. All the best of the new year, guys. Thanks. Happy New Year. David, uh, I'll start with you. What do you recall about that era in the lead-up to amalgamation? Well, in the lead-up, there was quite a, quite a debate. And, of course, during during the final days of the 97, 98, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of heated debate. My own view was that the 43-year history of Metro carried with it the seeds of amalgamation. It was always a, a centralizing force. The Metro government, which was given birth in 19... 19- 54 was a centralizing force. For example, uh, they, they amalgamated the cops or the police force in 1957. They amalgamated social services and welfare in 1962. They went from 12 municipalities to six in 1969. Um, so what was happening and continued to happen uh, was that Metro became more and more powerful, more important, and it was inevitable that there would be an amalgamation. Well, certainly it seemed like everything was on track for that. So, Karen, what was it that everyone was against? Was it just uh, an official change that people were nervous about? You know, again, it was, um, you know, 25 years ago, I had a different lens. But I, 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 lived, I lived in the city my entire life. I was born at St. Mike's and I've lived here um, for five decades. Hate to say that, but it's true. Um, <laughs> I don't ever remember, actually the amalgamation being um, anything other than kind of side chatter of the political class. Like for me growing up in the city, I always identified with Toronto. I grew up in North York, but I never saw myself as anything other than a Torontonian. And so this idea that amalgamation was uh, this divisive thing didn't reconcile with my experience of living in the city at the time. Yeah, good point. And Lauren, as the millennial in the group, uh, do you still identify uh, with the six separate areas, East York, York, North York? <laughs> yeah, our own boroughs, as, yeah. as you say. Um, that's how I always explain it to people. I'm like, it's like our Queens and our Brooklyn, but, um, <laughs> right. you know, like Scarborough and Etobicoke. I... I I kind of, yeah, I still identify them as separate places, though they are within Toronto. So for me, when I'm writing a headline about something that happens in Etobicoke, I like that it is part of Toronto so that I can say Toronto instead right. of uh, a more niche, um, I guess, region. Um, I just remember I was, I was in elementary school at the time of the referendum, uh, when the referendum about the amalgamation happened and I just remember a bunch of adults being mad about it. But like Karen, I don't remember it being a huge, huge thing in my daily life. Um, I do love, though, that it made us a mega city. That's just fun. Mega city. Yeah, it seemed to make sense. Yeah. Uh, we were on track for that. And I guess in retrospect, um, we have all accepted it 25 years later that that's the way it is. The fact that we became the fifth most populous city in North America, there's some prestige in that as well. Our listeners want to get in on this conversation, recalling 
going back to the days before amalgamation. And uh, since then, the mega city, your thoughts on this 25th anniversary. Numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Brian in Mimico, what would you like to remember or add? Well, just that we're now the fourth largest city. We surpassed Chicago years ago. Right, 2013. Yes. And and uh, how do you identify as a Torontonian? Are, do you say you're a Torontonian or do you say you're from Mimico? <laughs> well, I go way back to, you know, Mimico, New Toronto, Long Branch. <laughs> I was born in Long Branch. That's all my birth certificate. So I just remember those days. But Amalgamation has got a lot of good things going with it, but kind of got too big. They didn't cut down on the size of the bureaucracy or all these old city halls or everything. Well, that's be read a lot more efficiently. Thank you, Brian. That's what I wanted to ask David Crombie about uh, the whole idea. Uh, under Premier Mike Harris at the time, is that it would be a cost-cutting measure and an administration improvement. Uh, David, it seems it did not end up being that because a lot more City of Toronto employees have been hired uh, in the post-amalgamation days. Yeah, I, uh, the, the Premier of the day, um, Mike Harris, was wrong. Uh, and, and, and people actually, met, at the time, knew he was wrong. He was using as a selling point. We're going to have amalgamation because it'll be cheaper, and that, of course, allowed him to make it make it like a simple argument. But the fact of the matter is, as was just pointed out by your listener, just no doubt about it, the costs went up, and that's always the case. By the way, with major organizational amalgamations, certainly in the early days, you're going to go your your the prices will go up, not down. So it was a it was a, a selling point. It was not an honest selling point, uh, and, and and it didn't happen. It cost us more money, but there were advantages to it, and the, and the city changed immensely over the last 25 years, and I think we got benefit out of it. And then, Karen, there was a referendum. We were all polled as City of Toronto residents whether we wanted to go ahead with amalgamation. Two-thirds of the people who voted said no, uh, but that had no bearing on what Premier Mike Harris and his PC government did at the time. Um, do you recall that, going checking an X as to whether you wanted to amalgamate or not? To be honest with you, no, I don't remember. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about it too. Like now, I would have said yes, but I wonder if back then, being an old city of Toronto resident, I was, I had my nose in the air a little bit and voted against it. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was just graduating from um, my master's degree and trying to get a job, so I think my focus was more internal than external. Right. <laughs> how I was going to kind of confront the next phase of my life. And interestingly, only a third of eligible voters actually cast a ballot in that referendum. Let's go to Ron in Guelph before we change uh, topics here. Ron, uh, your memories of Toronto from years ago and uh, since amalgamation? I was born at Women's College. I spent uh, most of my life in Scarborough. And what was kind of significant, uh, when they created Metro in 54, uh, there was a Toronto police force. But I think it was right up. I don't know, I guess when they made uh, Scarborough and North York part of it, if you had a fire in East York, you better hope that it wasn't that close to the border, depending on where you, because you, um, the, the fire station in Scarborough was actually closer to where you were than what the East York fire station was. Which doesn't really make sense, right? <laughs> well, that's why in North York, it didn't matter whether it was Etobicoke, uh, God help you if your fire, you weren't closer to the fire station and there was a fire station 10 minutes away, uh, and they wouldn't come to the call. Uh, well, so that, that was one of the advantages of the, uh, when it became, uh, Toronto rather than Metro Toronto, because then, the fire departments all became part of the one. Yeah, good memory. Thanks for your call, Ron. It is our tune into the town panel with Lauren O'Neill, Karen Stintz, and David Crombie. Let's talk about uh, the very beginnings of the 2023 City of Toronto budget. And so far, Lauren, there seems to be a lot of discussion around the need for a safer city. Uh, John Tory announcing $48 million more for Toronto police to hire 200 more officers. 
and a 10 cent fare increase for a single adult ride on the TTC, which will go toward making the TTC safer. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, here's to hoping that the TTC becomes safer. I mean, they've already got a lot of special constables in place, adding more, and then they're also going to be adding um, 10 more streets to home outreach workers for vulnerable people who um, a lot of people experiencing homelessness have been seeking shelter in the colder months on the TTC. And um, I mean, John Tory said last year that that had something to do with the kind of the uptick in violence, which we've been seeing a lot recently. There have been a lot of random attacks on the TTC, but it's not new. This was happening last year as well. Um, and I and I think people forget sometimes like of some of the really high profile, like in 2018, there was that 73 year old man who was pushed in front of a train at Bloor Young Station. Um, there, there, there have been some really high profile accidents in the past. Uh, not accidents, mm-hmm. incidents, intentional um, incidents. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know that the TTC has increased their security since then. They've added more cameras. They've added more call buttons. They have uh, two way um, communication centers, but these problems are continuing. So I'm not really sure if adding more officers and out- outreach workers will work, but I know that adding 10 cents onto the fare of the TTC is not not making anyone happy. I'm curious what blog TO readers are saying about John Tory's announcement that we need 200 more police officers at a time when there is a massive budget crunch and uh, a lot of jockeying for money for mental health and more community programs. Oh, yeah, they're not happy. They're they're essentially saying that the money could be better spent, right? Um, putting more police out there, I mean, that is also traumatizing to some vulnerable communities who do not tend to have good interactions with police. Um, the city needs money and is always, right, Troy's been talking about this budget crunch and now it's like, well, there's all of this money to spend on increased police presence, but then you're also asking people to spend an additional 10 cents uh, to ride the TTC. Like, there are a lot of people who can barely afford it as it is and uh, a lot of people are becoming more and more frightened to ride the TTC. So a, a lot of our readers are saying, like, this is not the time to be increasing the fare of the TTC or to be, you know, putting more police out on the streets when you could actually be addressing the root problems of some of these issues, you know, giving more money to social services, helping more people get the help that they need as opposed to just crime, 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 right. fighting. David, what are your thoughts? Are these wise spending decisions that we're hearing about from John Tory this week? I, I, I'll give the mayor, the mayor the benefit of the doubt that that he's not got around, he should in my judgment, but he's not yet got around to paying stronger attention to what are known as the, as the, as the, as the uh, issues that, that cause crime. Uh, so uh, in any budget, you have to figure out uh, what's the balance. And so uh, the balance he's seeing, as we know now, simply uh, that there's more cops in the street and there's a little bit of, uh, there's, like, there's a $2 million item there for uh, dealing with the uh, roots of violence, but we need to talk more about the roots of violence, and there needs to be something more in the in the forthcoming budget that balances it up with more police on the street. I mean, the, the roots of violence are are, are, are obvious to everyone um, in, in, in terms of drug addiction and, and uh, mental health issues and poverty and joblessness and lack of education, all of those things, but they're very complicated matters, and, and, and pretty more money with the police department is a more straightforward thing. So my, I would sum it up by saying, uh, for those who say we don't need more more police, I'm not sure what they mean by that. I'm not sure what, what, how they a- analyze that. Um, the idea that, that you should simply not fund the police is wrong, in, in my judgment. Uh, but on the other hand, we do need to make sure that we're giving far more attention than we have been to those issues that are causing violence. Karen, a former fellow councillor of yours when you were on city council, Josh Matlow, says there is no evidence to suggest that putting more officers on the streets makes the city safer. And we're hearing not just from Josh Matlow, but all kinds of uh, advocates uh, for victims of crime around the city. Uh, The same sort of argument. Uh, What are your thoughts? Well, I have a bit of a different view on it. And that um, there, my feeling, and, and it's, you know, I don't have any data to back it up, but certainly the anecdotal conversations that I've been having with several of my colleagues at work and in the community is that the city does not feel as safe. And taking the subway uh, for many people is no longer a reasonable option. 
And it's because, quite frankly, it's not, they don't feel safe on the subway. And this is my kids, this is my experience on the subway, that if I have, and transit, if I have an opportunity to take a different mode, I will. Because there are people sleeping in the transit stations, there is drug use on the subway, there is um, treating the subway like a shelter system. And it, those are, you know, David mentioned that we know the roots of violence and we know how to deal with it. The fact is we don't. It's very complicated. But the one thing we do need to address is that we need to reclaim some of these spaces. And if police presence helps people feel more secure and then we begin to reclaim those spaces, then I think that's a good investment. And I'm not suggesting that any vulnerable group be targeted. Obviously, they need to be helped. But the reality is the best way to make the system safer is to get more people on it, using it on a daily basis. And I'll tell you, that's not going to happen with the status quo. That's not going to happen with more outreach workers. That's only going to happen when people feel safe enough to go get onto transit again. This is a thoughtful conversation here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, and our listeners also want to talk about safety in Toronto. Um, from outside Toronto, Todd in Woodstock, uh, what would you like to add? Yes, Jane, I love this show. Thank you. Okay, I was born in Toronto. I grew up in the Parliament in Winchester area. And the clubs in the area, a lot of them were run by uh, police officers. And I know for a fact that if it wasn't for their influence, not only myself, but the people I grew up with would not have done very well. Um, There's people that should be credited with that. One is Peter Wiley, John Wiley. They ran the Cabbage Town, I guess it's a youth center now. There was another uh, club down just on Carlton Street. There was another peace officer that ran that, and they were a tremendous influence on us. I remember a while back, there was a guy that called in when they were talking about violence, and he said, Spirit, spend more money on clubs. You know what? He had no idea what he was talking about. And I do believe, and there's a lot of clubs and a lot of communities that are run by police officers, and they are a positive influence, and we seem to have gotten away from that. These people are key to putting kids on the right track. Like, I grew up, I've had my own business, uh, I've done okay, and I credit a lot of that to the influence of the people who ran the clubs. Well, thank you very much for calling in about that. That is an interesting story. Let's go to Jody in Toronto. Go ahead, Jody, you're on Fight Back. Hi, Jane. Uh, very recently, I came very close to being assaulted. I won't go into the story because you don't have the time to listen to the whole thing. But I want to share with you what the police officer said to me about keeping myself safe and to share it with other people. One thing he said, uh, women have started wearing their purses, you know, over their neck and so on, rather than carrying a purse because of the purse snatchers. He said, don't do that because they'll snap your neck when they grab the purse. That's mm-hmm. one thing. The other thing he said was, do not have your house keys together with your car keys. Your car will be hijacked, and then they will have your your information of some kind from the car, but they will also have your house keys, so don't do that. Do not wear jewelry outside. Try to go out with a buddy. Don't be by yourself during the day. This is what we've come to in Toronto. I have lived here for 63 years, and I no longer feel safe in my city. All right, Jody. thank you for calling in with that. And let me go around the table here. Uh, Lauren, you live, walk, work in uh, the city. Uh, Do you feel safe most of the time? I feel significantly less safe than I did, say, 10 years ago. And I don't know if that's because I've just gotten more mature or because I write about crime every day. Um, but, but I do see generally a lot of people feeling less safe. Um, just like our caller was just saying, I mean, it, we shouldn't be in a position where we feel the need to leave jewelry at home when going outside. And, um, I, I definitely, I'd say when I'm walking at night and especially on public transit, yeah, I'm definitely a lot cagier than I I used to be. What do you see in the difference uh, on public transit? Karen was referencing it as well. And I have to be honest, I haven't been on the subway since before the pandemic. Uh, What are we seeing different from, say, three, four years ago? We're seeing needles. We're seeing crack pipes. We're seeing people openly use drugs. We're seeing people publicly... um, 
masturbating. We're seeing people screaming at other people. We're seeing people attacking people. I mean, there was a woman who attacked six people on a subway car the other day. The aftermath was caught on video. There was blood on the ground. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've always seen a lot of people screaming and, and kind of people experiencing mental health issues, but I've never to the level that I can almost guarantee if I get on the bus, like every other time I get on the bus, there's going to be a problem. Someone's going to be either just even like very very bad hygiene that kind of like yeah yeah there's a there are a lot of uh just people are using the buses like Karen said kind of as shelters the subway system as a shelter and and it's really unfortunate and it's sad um and i don't know if the street out street to home workers like they can help these people who have no homes but if there are no homes to put them into where are they going to go right so David, uh, just the, the fact that it is becoming a priority, whether the way of, of getting to a safer TTC in a safer city is, um, you know, up for discussion, uh, how we get there. But the fact that we're having the conversation, how positive is that? Well, it's positive to have the conversation. I might say, <clears throat> I, I think it does depend on what stage of life you're at. I, I use the subway on a regular basis um, and I walk the streets a lot. I'm just a walker. Um, I, I don't deny what I what we just heard about about there's more behavior which is unsettling than than in the past. But I think that if we take another look at it, maybe I'm not as observant as I should be. I'm I'm, I'm I there, there was it, you see more of that beha- bad behavior, but I I don't find it threatening. And now I'm I'm 87 years old, I mean, so so no no one's going to threaten me. I don't think. But however. It seems to me that we're having a positive conversation. I think it's fixable. I think that people need to pay far more attention about what we're doing. Let me go back, if I could, for a second. Sure. And, and, and not separate the police out, as we've been doing, from, from, from community. Your friend from Woodstock was pointing out that the police for years uh, uh, paid attention to the clubs. The Cabbage Town Boxing Club that Peter Wiley and his brother ran um, uh, the police were, were, were involved in baseball and hockey leagues and so on. In some ways, we need to have the police far more involved in non, non-technically police activities so that they are part of the community and not some kind of sheriff riding a horse. And we seem, Karen, to be starting to get back to that. Yeah, I think as well that um, we also need to recognize the fact that um, work you know, at, at you know, ten years ago, the TTC and the subway system was really garnered towards commuting patterns, and so there was, um, you know, a sense of safety in numbers and a sense of safety in that people were all going to work and you shared something together on that commute ride in. But the pattern of work has changed, and working from home is becoming more real for many people. Who, particularly the sixty-seven percent that were you know office workers and knowledge workers that typically would go into the downtown core, and so that. That's not coming back soon, if at all. And so recognizing that the whole ridership demographic usage of the TTC is changing, how do we adjust to that and what do we need? And, you know, back to the fare hikes, you know, I know there's a budgetary constraint, but I think we need to have a bigger conversation of how do we fund this essential service, given that um, most of the fare box revenue, 70% of the fare box revenue comes from ridership. And that's not sustainable at a period of time when ridership is down. Was this a conversation you were having with your colleagues when you were TTC chair, Karen? Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. And it was something we recognized that was a system issue. And, uh, you know, one of the issues is that, you know, with amalgamation is that there's a sense of failed political leadership. And, and I, 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 I take a bit of umbrage at that notion because the reality is the city deals with all of the uh, pitfalls and drawbacks of provincial and federal policy. And, you know, the fact that we have limited ways to raise money means that we're, we will be, we're a city of scarcity. And when you have scarcity, then you have um, big discussions and divides around how money is spent. And really, there needs to be a discussion with the province around how we support Toronto in this time when there's a lot of shifting, moving targets and a lot of expenses and a lot of money and a lot of need that the tax base, property tax base alone can just cannot continue to fund. 
As we go forward with this budget process, and we're coming to the end of our segment here, and Helen in Toronto, I want you to hang on because we're going to continue the conversation about safety on the TTC on the other side of the break. But what um, what should we be thinking about looking for uh, in terms of public consultations, making sure that if you do feel strongly about something, Lauren, and you live in the city of Toronto, that you make the effort to go to these public consultations before the budget is finalized? I think I'm not sure which specific public consultations are coming up, but I would encourage everyone to keep, um, you know, keep in touch with our local city councilor, follow them on Twitter, subscribe to email ad, their uh, email newsletters and and go. I, I've been to a few public consultations and they were great, really interesting, engaging discussions. So um, it's definitely these issues of where we should be spending the city's money, especially like Karen said, when it's so scarce, are, are really important. And and the more people who get out there and share their valid experiences and opinions, the better. David, your final thoughts on uh, the beginnings of the budget process? Well, uh, if I could uh, endorse what Karen was saying. We should get Karen's words around to the province of Ontario. The city of Toronto, the, 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 the large city that it is, now depends on, it does depend on the fare box far more than any other city in North America of its size. And it's because the province starves the place. Uh, Karen, uh, you gave us some good uh, fodder there to think about. Uh, any final words before we let you go? No, I, I just, I think that there is, um, I think to your point, we're having conversations that we need to have, and I think that they need to continue, and the role of the city is to have these conversations continue to be heard even after the budget process is decided. This has been great. Thank you, panelists. Our first chat of the new year. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. David Crombie is a former Toronto mayor. Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village. And Lauren O'Neill is senior news editor at Blog TO. Jane for Libby, and we will continue our conversation around safety on the TTC, and your experiences are also welcome. Uh, we'll have two transit stakeholders on next. And if you want to call in, the numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back next week. We will continue our discussion now about improving security on the TTC and whether measures Mayor John Tory has already announced are the right moves to improve safety on Toronto's transit. Joining us for the conversation now, TTC spokesperson Stuart Green and Sheila Pisey Allen, executive director of TTC Riders. Stuart, Sheila, hello to you both. Good afternoon. Hello. Sheila, uh, there have been a number of violent incidents on the TTC this year, and uh, I can detail some of them, but a lot of them have targeted women uh, on transit. How concerned are you, because you've been with TTC riders for a number of years, about some of the negative changes you're seeing on transit? It is concerning. We're hearing from lots of riders about um, safety issues, um, and everyone deserves to feel safe and welcome on the TTC. So it's important that we're having this conversation, but it's a very nuanced conversation. Safety means more than, um, you know, protection from the most extreme violence. We, we hear from a lot of women who are afraid to take transit alone at night when the bus doesn't come frequently enough, when there's not enough staff in station. So we do need more staff, but they need to be the right kind of staff. We know the wrong kind of staff are going to make some people, especially Black and Indigenous transit users, less safe. And at the same time, this budget is cutting subway service, cutting bus service. That is going to make transit less safe, especially for women and, and shift workers who use t the TTC late at night. So when you say right kind of staff, uh, tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, so, you know, people... We think that there's safety in numbers. So part of that is making sure we're welcoming transit users back to the system with frequent service, with affordable fares, but also supportive staff roles that can really contribute to making transit welcoming and accessible who are trained in, you know, de-escalating crisis situations. But also people want um, 
more from the transit system. They want help navigating it, wayfinding. Another safety issue we're hearing a lot about is from people who use mobility devices who are very worried about going into the subway and getting their wheels caught um, boarding the subway. That's a safety issue we haven't heard about in this budget. Adding more police is not going to address those safety issues. So we really need a thoughtful approach and making sure we're hiring the right kind of staff that are going to create a welcoming environment because that's the big issue facing the TTC. How do we bring back riders? And we're seeing a budget that's cutting service by 9% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Stuart Green, over to you and uh, the perspective from the TTC. Uh, you're hearing concerns from TTC riders. Uh, we've been talking about it, our panelists, the last half hour. It sounds like the transit system has devolved, certainly since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, I, I mean, let me say this. Uh, I mean, Sheila and I uh, probably agree on 90% of what transit needs and what transit should be. Um, so everything she says is absolutely true. Um, you know, what I would remind your listeners is that, you know, the TTC is a public transit agency. We are, you know, 40% of this budget is being funded by the City of Toronto. We need to find 60% somewhere else. So, um, you know, we have two places we can go. One is our service levels. The other is our customers. Uh, so short of having, you know, sustainable funding from uh, those with deeper pockets than we have, uh, you know, we're, we're in a situation uh, where we have to do the best with what we've got. And, and that's what we've tried to do with this budget. So with respect to safety, you know, again, Sheila is absolutely right. You know, we hear from we know that 55 percent of our customers are women. We know that we know that the vast majority of our customers and we do customer polling all the time. The vast majority of their concerns right now are about safety and security um, and uh, over service, for example. So, we, you know, we've tried to present a budget that, that addresses those concerns, that are the real concerns of our customers that we hear. You know, we, we talk to thousands of them when we do our surveys, and, and that was their chief concern. So, you know, we're in a, we're in a situation where, you know, we're trying to balance all of these things, keeping safety top of mind. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, there are, there are other things that we have to uh, contend with, like we're dealing with 70% of our ridership, which means a huge loss in revenue. So, um, you know, again, this is this is the situation we face. So, again, Sheila and I will agree on a lot of things about what transit should be and what it needs. Uh, the You know, the issue that we have is how we fund that with the resources that we have. Is it an either-or situation when we look at the whole budget, Stuart? There was a lot of backlash this week about the $48 million extra for Toronto Police, uh, rather than putting that towards, or at least some of that, towards safety on the, on the TTC. Yeah. Well, no. So, so safety is always top of mind for everything we do. I mean, uh, safety it, when it comes to the TTC comes in many forms, including state of good repair, for example. You know, ha- making sure that our, our our tracks and our our vehicles are all in good working order, uh, and that our operators are properly trained, so that you know our customers are safe that way. So safety safety comes in many ways. Uh, you know, the word that Sheila used that, that I thought was very uh, was very good is, is nuanced, uh, and that again is is what we've tried to do in our in our response. You know, we are. Again, we're a public transit agency. We're not a social service agency. We need help from social service delivery experts to, you know, help keep our system safe. There's a broader systemic issue at at play when it comes to the root causes of crime that are not public transit specific, but they've manifested themselves on public transit. So part of what we're doing is in addition to hiring, uh, you know, new special constables and and increasing the presence of our station staff, which we'll do, uh, who are uniformed, not special constables, uh, we're we're bringing in additional uh, street outreach workers from a, um, a city program called Streets to Homes. And they'll be there to help anyone who's in crisis, anyone uh, who may need uh, support finding shelter. Uh, they'll be out there helping those people, too, because we, we've seen that there's some correlation between underhoused, mental health, addiction issues, uh, and the, some of the issues that we've seen recently. So, again, very nuanced is absolutely how we're approaching this as best we can. I want to get some other reaction here as well to concerns on the TTC. Uh, our producer, Zeev Hadi, takes uh, the subway fairly regularly. Uh, Zeev, are you able to join us now? Of course. Hi, yeah. Jane. So, so you were telling me, and uh, please share with our listeners uh, some of the experiences you have uh, confronted while being on the TTC. Yeah, so I think, you know, over the course of the pandemic, I've felt definitely more unsafe on the TTC. Um, I would say that um, I've seen, you know, incidents where we've had to skip stations uh, because of, you know, security incidents. And, uh, 
those were kind of, you know, kind of scary to think about. And then I have seen incidents where, you know, women have been followed uh, on subway trains, you know, going through the tunnel. And so there's not much they can do, but, you know, sort of uh, walk away as much as possible. But and uh, yeah, I just feel like um, I've heard, you know, verbal assaults more often and I think uh, it's definitely a scarier time. So if not scary, certainly unsettling. Yeah. And I I definitely think, you know, like I do drive. Uh, I try to take transit uh, when I can. But um, I feel like driving for me, at at least now, is a little bit more obviously safe. Okay, thanks, Zeev. Sheila, back over to you with TTC Riders. Uh, How does Zeev's experience, and we're going to go to the phones as well, how does that reflect uh, what you're hearing from transit riders, particularly women? Yeah, maybe I can share one of my own experiences. I I have been sexually harassed on public transit, and um, luckily there was someone else taking the Scarborough RT with me. It's very late at night. And I, I, for me, that experience really drove home their safety in numbers. We need to have more riders in the system, and we need to have more staff. And this budget proposes very deep cuts. You could be waiting up to 10 minutes for a subway. So how does that increase safety? This is going to drive more transit users away, both the cuts and the fare increases. It's going to wreck our chances at meeting climate goals, but also really reduce safety. Um, and yet, the you know, the budget proposes money by getting rid of a second staff person on the subway. So not only do we think that adding more police is the wrong approach, it won't fix the underlying issues. It's almost window dressing. You know, there's a very it's 2.4 million is being added for special constables, $1 million for streets to homes, and that, but millions and millions of dollars in service cuts. So we think fare increases are totally unacceptable and unfair as well because what's happening is the mayor is asking the lowest income transit users in our city, because right now most TTC users are women, shift workers, racialized and lower income people to pay more when there's many people who can afford to pay more. So we're actually asking the mayor to look at a parking levy on big malls and commercial landlords that could raise hundreds of millions of dollars. We need to be investing in the system now, not cutting it back because that's going to reduce safety. How responsive do you think, Sheila, the mayor is to that? And we we talked about that this morning here at Zoomer Radio as well, your idea. Um, Is this part of public consultations? Is this directly your message to the mayor? Um, Will it resonate? The good news is that the mayor has voted yes in the last term of council to ask staff for a a report on this revenue tool. KPMG did a report on it in 2016, so we know how much money it could raise, up to $575 million a year. So our message is these cuts don't need to happen. We can invest more in public transit service. And we don't need to raise fares on the lowest income people in Toronto. Let's go to Helen in Toronto. Helen, sorry, you've been waiting quite a while to tell your story. Go ahead. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I had to. T- I take the subway when I go down to uh, dental appointments. This one happened to be at Young and Eglinton. Uh, on my return, I was crossing over from one side of the street to where the subway is at the other. There's a bit of a tunnel. As I was going through, I took a look at the back of this person and something looked off. Uh, and as he went through the door, he kicked the, he pushed the door, kicked the door, and then with the other foot kicked the air. Somebody had opened the door for me on the left and to break the momentum, I thanked him and then I could, then he turned around and stared me in the eyes. And, um, thank God I'm a quick thinker. Another person came through. I hit him gently with my elbow to his elbow, and I said, walk with me. I'll explain Uh it to you later. Uh And he was somewhat startled. uh, And then when I explained to him what was happening, he was kind of thankful that I had taken the initiative. Had it been a female, it wouldn't have helped that much. But because I was walking with a male who... Looked like he could handle himself. I don't know if he could or he couldn't, but at least it got me to the subway without being harmed. Helen, thanks for calling in and um, thanks for your quick thinking. That um, is a, a story that would inspire all of us in a similar moment. Uh, Stuart, uh, some of the stories you're hearing, concerns about the TTC, certainly the more people are talking about that they feel nervous on the TTC. How do you square that with trying to get more riders? Uh, well, I mean... 
<clears throat> you know, getting riders back is is a is a primary objective of ours. Uh, you know, we've we've had a couple of campaigns. Uh, we've been working with the downtown BIAs. Uh, you know, our biggest challenge right now when it comes to ridership is simply that people are not back in the office, and it doesn't appear that they're coming back. You know, we've had to concede that the fact that uh, we were projecting upwards of 80% of our pre-pandemic ridership by now, um, it's not there because the downtown office workers are not there. And until the downtown office workers are back in the office on a regular basis, uh, we will not see our ridership come back. That's just the reality. Weekend ridership is, is significantly higher in terms of uh, the percentage pre-pandemic, mostly because, you know, people are, are still doing those same things like going out for the evening or, or socializing or sports events or what have you. Uh, but our during the week ridership is is what has been uh, is what's hit us hardest, and again I, I you know I, I go back to the fact that 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 has had an impact on our bottom line. With respect to the stories, you know uh, they're they're concerning. Of course they're concerning. You know we have employees who are also part of this, right? Um, so you know we want everybody to feel safe and welcome and protect on the TTC. Uh, there are different ways that you do that. One is that you address. Uh, you, you know, you address the, the incidents as they happen. Uh, then you, uh, the other, the other way is that you prevent those incidents from happening. Um, and, you know, that, that's where we need to focus, I think, and we need to be part of a broader conversation with federal and provincial governments who have uh, control over things like, uh, much deeper pockets, for example, in terms of addressing those root causes of crime, um, and, uh, you know, and, and helping people who really need it. Um, and, and until we can get there, you know, we have to do the best with what we can in terms of addressing incidents as they're happening. Okay, we need to wrap up, but uh, Sheila Paisi, Allen, final comments from you. Thanks. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, emphasize again that the, these are alarming cuts. 9% service, um, 9% service cuts compared to pre-pandemic levels. And, you know, riders will not come back if the TTC is so has cut so deeply that you just can't rely on it. So our message to the mayor and city councillors is to invest in the transit service that we need and reverse the fare hikes that are going to hurt the lowest income people in Toronto. And, and maybe more of us should get back on the TTC for those of us who haven't been on the subway since before the pandemic. Uh, maybe it's a good idea uh, to take a ride and just see for yourself what it's all about, Sheila. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, uh, I use the TTC regularly and it's, you know, I think there's safety in numbers um, and we riders need to come back for sure. But if you're a transit user or if you've been thinking about coming back, make sure to contact your city councillor about the budget and make sure that that investment is there. Stuart Green, well, Sheila Paisi-Allen of TTC Riders and TTC spokesperson Stuart Green, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. This is Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane for Libby, $27 a kilo. Uh, for chicken breast, is that greedflation or inflation? We find out next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off for a few days. It was a story that got a lot of traction yesterday after a Toronto woman posted the price tag for a five-pack of chicken breasts at Loblaws for $37. $37. The cost per kilo just under $27. Now, when the woman, who is a reporter, reached out to Loblaws for an explanation, she says they said the price was justified on the basis that the poultry was from their premium line. Greedflation or inflation? Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is Senior Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University and joins us now. Hi, Sylvain. Good afternoon. What is the answer to that question? Greedflation or inflation? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it's neither. I, 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 so I know the story very well and, and spoke to the person who actually took the picture. And, and frankly, I think the price was still a little excessive. So, yes, you can say greedflation. But uh, honestly, when you read the label, it does, says, it does mention PCFF, which means... Uh, President's choice, uh, free from hormones and antibiotics, and and those products tend to be more expensive. Uh, so, but any most people wouldn't know that. So when you walk over to the meat counter and you see thirty six dollars for for five chicken breasts, you go, my goodness, chicken has gone up, but it's only a premium product. 
that's the thing. And the other issue, of course, is the avian flu. Uh, regular chicken is uh, is difficult to find, uh, much more difficult to find. So you're kind of forced into buying a premium product like the five uh, chicken breasts that the that the consumer saw and took a picture of. Well, and similar premium chicken breasts were being sold for $28 a kilogram at Sobeys. So uh, it seems to be the price for that organic type of chicken. That's right. So it's not uh, unheard of. And But again, I, I think it, what's important for your listeners to understand is that you need to know how much you should be paying for a certain product right. before you even leave the house. Uh, and if you go into a store and you see uh, five chicken breasts sold at $36, just walk away. Right. Just oh, walk absolutely. Away and buy something else. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're into pork, for example, if you like pork products, pork is actually quite affordable these days. And there are other products that are sold at a discount uh, when using certain apps like uh, Foodie Row or Flash Food. So just be patient and be disciplined and you'll save money. Well, how much of an investment, a time investment, is involved in being a smart shopper, uh, an educated consumer? Because as you say, items are on sale all the time. Uh, You just need to know which items are on sale and then plan your menu around those items. Well, I wouldn't expect the industry to service uh, me and my budget. The more time you put... In, in grocery shopping, the more likely you will save. That's basically it. And uh, but I, I, if you have less time, what I would do is that I would I would try to uh, give myself some opportunities to learn about the market and go to say two three different stores uh, every two three weeks. Most people don't have the time to go to more than one place a week. I would alternate between a couple of places, and you'll be surprised how food prices change so dramatically uh, almost daily now. And so I can bet you the five chicken breasts that are that are all over Twitter right now will probably be half price in a few days from now. Right. Okay. So let's talk about some commonly purchased products that households uh, would buy every week. And you can tell us what is a reasonable or a good price. So, so for chicken, you say it's tough to find, but regular chicken at a good price would be what these days? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you caught me off guard. I don't have the list of, of products, but uh, I would say I mean, essentially, because it all depends where you live. That, that's the thing about food is, uh, d- depending on your address, uh, you actually will have different options. So it's always difficult to compare, say, chicken uh, in Halifax versus chicken in, in Toronto. Okay. I can tell you right now, chicken sold in Halifax is likely, most of the time, more expensive and in Toronto, why? Because there's more competition in Toronto. Torontarians actually have more options, and so retailers have to compete. So every store will have to face uh, different dynamics. But I would say with chicken, what's unique about chicken is that chicken is quite stable. It doesn't really, it increases by 3 4% a year. It's a steady-as-she-goes sort of product, whereas beef and pork is, very different. Those products tend to fluctuate a lot more. Well, exactly. I mean, you can find prime rib for six ninety nine a pound. Uh, very recently at Metro and another of the big grocery stores over the last week. I mean, that's a phenomenal price right now. Uh, you can also get the chickens right once in that's a while right. for two ninety nine a pound, and one of those little chickens goes a long way. And of course, it all depends. Uh, sometimes people like to enjoy, like to buy, enjoy tonight deals, or, mm-hmm. or family packs as well. And 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 the price per kilo tends to be much lower. So if you have space, if you have space, buy more and put some in the freezer. If you have friends and family that are on a tight budget, buy some for them too. Uh, I mean. Food inflation is top of mind for everybody. So if you buy 
chicken breast for your neighbor, for your friends and family, <laughs> I'm sure surely they'll appreciate it. And other tips, because uh, we know that food prices in Canada will continue to go up in 2023. In fact, uh, there was a report uh, in the last couple of months suggesting they will rise another 7%. So That's our report. That was your report, exactly. That was our report, yes. yeah. <laughs> so how do we confront that on an ongoing basis? Uh, you know, when it comes to making up your list and going out and doing your weekly shopping, you're saying shop around, go to different grocery stores, don't get stuck in a rut. Uh, and also meal planning around, uh, I mean, we don't really have flyers anymore, but we have the online apps for that kind of thing. Uh so a couple of things there. So at home, let's start at home. Uh, inventory management, know what you have before leaving the house. Uh, use what you have as much as possible. Best before dates uh, aren't gospel. Mm-hmm. You can use a sniff test. If, you, if, you're, if your immune system is not compromised, don't rely too much on best before dates. Okay? They're just a suggestion. It doesn't mean bad after. Uh, leaving the house Leave the house informed about what's going on in the marketplace. And when you go show up at the grocery store, if there's one item that is overpriced, just walk away. Just don't buy it. And, and wait until the following week to buy that product. Be flexible with your menu planning as much as possible. Sometimes you'll actually want a product but it's better not to buy because it's just too expensive. Well, here's an example. You know, a lot of us prepared a squash, butternut squash or acorn squash over the Christmas holidays. When you're when you're buying a squash for $1.99 or maybe $2.99 a pound, uh, that can get quite expensive because they're heavy. I noticed last week that on sale at Loblaw of all places, a fairly large bag of frozen butternut squash already cubed for $2.99. That's a great price absolutely and so if you if but you need to know that it is a good price too <laughs> that's the thing yeah. so if you're educated about uh, certain prices and like i said there are so many there's 18 to twenty thousand different products at the grocery store it's, it's always difficult to, to stay on top of things but you want to actually get as much information as possible so you are aware of what is a good deal and what is not and best value products in general. I know bananas have more or less stayed the same price through the pandemic and during these inflationary times. Are there others you can point to as well? In terms of good deals right now? Yeah. Uh, Well, so at the meat counter, like I said, most pork products are pretty good because there's there's lots of inventory out there across the country. Pork is a good deal right now. When it comes to vegetables uh, and fruits, lettuce is actually a good deal. Uh, In November, lettuce was overpriced, but not now. Uh, And and because it's after the holidays, you'd be surprised with some of the products that are out there being sold at a discount because they just want to move inventory as much as possible. So the center of the store should be also a good place to save as well. Thank you so much for the tips, Sylvain. We will speak with you again soon, hopefully. Take care. Bye-bye. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, Senior Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Jane for Libby, thanks for being with me here today. Bob Comsick will be hosting Free for All Friday tomorrow. So make sure you get a line during the noon news so you can talk about what in the news has you talking. In the meantime, Bob has uh, the latest news update and then the number ones at one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.